Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you for this word this morning. Would you open our hearts to hear and to receive and to be transformed by you, by your spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. This is our fifth sermon on Amos, and I imagine for uh, you sitting in the pews, for some of you as you listen to Amos, it's been perhaps a difficult uh, experience, a difficult process as you hear Amos's words. Amos can be a kind of a difficult book. And you can imagine it would have been difficult for Israel to hear as well because the people are being faced with their rebellion against God. And God is kind of through Amos, you can imagine, sort of holding up a mirror to Israel. And he's showing them uh, who they've become what they've actually become and, and what they've been about. And you know what? Being told your flaws and your brokenness and your sin is never very easy or fun. <laughs> but God's aim in doing that is for their good. He shows them that so that they'll turn from evil back to him, turn from sin back to God. And that theme of sort of being confronted with our sinfulness and turning and realizing the holiness and the goodness of God is one that I, ideally all of us have experienced at some point in our lives. If you're a true Christian this morning, uh, you have struggled with sin in your life and you've been confronted with God and with the holiness of God and with the goodness of God and reminded that God sees your heart and you can't fool him. And that has caused you to want to repent and to turn and to give your life to him and to follow him. And if you're a nominal Christian this morning, uh, maybe you say you're a Christian, but you're not really a Christian, you probably find yourself rather upset at Amos and think, this is not what people need to hear. This is not what the church should be preaching. Uh, people need to come to church to be encouraged and hear something uplifting. And they need to hear about love. And hear about God, uh, just how he loves us so much. Um, and that's true. But we also need to hear about our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and God's holiness. And whether you're a true Christian or a nominal Christian or someone who's just never professed Jesus at all, we need to be told, we need to hear today that true life is only found in Jesus Christ. And there is nowhere else where we can find salvation. And so there's no comfort really in telling someone that God will not judge. There's no comfort really in ignoring the difficult parts of God's word simply because they're hard to hear or because they confront us. Uh, and sometimes when we're confronted with it, it's difficult to know how to respond. I listened to a sermon uh, this week by a pastor named Alan McElroy. And he was preaching Amos, and he made this point. He said the buffet, uh, sorry, the buffet, the Bible, the Bible is not a buffet. The Bible is not a buffet. You know, good buffets, they're all shut down during COVID. I haven't been to a good one since. The Bible is not like a buffet. We don't just get to take the parts we like and leave the rest. To be gospel-centered means that we take it all. And that's part of my heart for us, for this church, is that we would be gospel-centered, that we would be Christ-centered. And being gospel-centered means we take the whole of God's word, even the parts that are a bit difficult to hear, 
because God has given us this for our own good. And that means we need to be confronted with our sin. It's only when we're really confronted with the depths of our sin that we can really hear and, and know the depth of God's love and forgiveness for us. Uh, there's the parable Jesus tells, right, about different people who owe different amounts of money to a master. And the master forgives them all, forgives the one that owed 10 bucks and forgives the one that owed a couple thousand and forgives the one that owed tens of thousands. And then Jesus asks, well, which one of those people who owed money will most love the master, will be most grateful for the master's forgiveness? And the response is, well, the one who owed the most, of course. And part of the point of that parable is for us to realize sometimes we can feel, I'm not really that sinful. I'm maybe a $10 sinful Christian. And some of us go, no, I owe about 1000 And some of us realize, no, we're, we're really in the hole. And the more we realize the depth and brokenness of our own selves, the more we come to a place of gratitude, a place of joy in realizing just how much we've been forgiven by a good and loving God. And so Amos does that work in us, and we need a passage like this that uh, confronts us in our sin, confronted Israel in her sin. And uh, so we're, we're, we want to be unapologetic about the breadth of God's word. And it's, like I said, it's for our own good. In some sense, we need to know the bitterness of sin so we can know the sweetness of salvation. And uh, that also confronts sort of a false sense of Christianity. If you think Jesus just came to make, make you like a little bit better, like you were a fairly good person, and then Jesus is kind of an extra bit you can put on to make you really good, uh, then you don't know what Christianity is about. That's not what we believe. Uh, and if you think, you know, the, the measure of your going to heaven uh, or the assurance of your, your life in Jesus is just based on your efforts, or is based on kind of the good, the good things you can do, your good works, then you've missed the gospel. Jesus didn't come to make you a bit of a better person. Jesus came because you're dead. And in him you're made alive. And by dying in your place, he makes salvation possible. So that when you repent, and when you believe in Jesus, and you take part in that, it's called the divine exchange where the goodness and the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus is now put on you as your sin and evil was put on him. When you participate in that and declare him to be your savior, he moves you from death to life so that the eternal life we long for, the goodness of life that our hearts long for starts here and now, not when you die. Eternal life starts now as you come to Jesus in faith. And maybe you think, well, I've sinned too greatly. I'm too much of a mess up. I'm too broken, or I'm too terrible. Or you think, I'm really faking it. Like, repentance is embarrassing. I've been in this church for years, and I'm still such a, such a failure. Uh, I'm a fraud. I get up on Sunday and have to put on this facade when I come in that everything's okay. And I'm really, really a mess. And maybe you think, the sin that you're hiding is so great, none of us would forgive you. Or maybe you think, well, we'd, we'd kick you out of church, uh, that God wouldn't love you. There's a story told of a man who was really struggling with his faith, and he didn't know if he believed in God anymore, and didn't know if God really believed in him anymore, and he was battling and wrestling with his sinfulness, 
And he was in London, and he went out uh, to the Thames and went up to the bridge and was ready to throw himself in and just be done with it all. And just then he could hear the bells toll, and he knew that nearby, in the nearby church, they would be having their service. And something in his heart told him to go and just sit there for a moment. And he went in just as they were praying. And as he walked in, the pastor was in the middle of his pastoral prayer. And he was saying, Lord, have mercy on the backslider. And in that moment, the man who had considered taking his life realized God was speaking to him and loving him and calling him back to himself even as he was contemplating ending his own life. And so I want to say today that whatever sin you think God cannot forgive you of, here today, like, just like our friend in the story, you're never too far gone for the mercy and the faithfulness of God. He loves you. He loves you. And no matter your issue or your sin, he will and can forgive you as you turn to him in faith. Like I said, Jesus is the only one who gives us true life. And so we see in this passage here in Amos 5, again, sort of the mirror held up, uh, held up uh, to show us the ugliness of our sin, but also the power and the beauty uh, of the cross and of God's salvation for us. And so it, it starts, if you have your Bible, take a look again at verses 1 and 2. The passage starts with Amos just sort of lamenting over Israel. Uh, grieving over what she's become and he talks about her as like a young woman who's fallen and no one is there to pick her up there's this sense of her just sort of being depleted or abandoned uh, lost in sin might remind you a bit of the moment in the gospels where jesus weeps over jerusalem where he sees the city sort of in the distance and he starts weeping over what uh, god's people have become that they've abandoned god that they've fallen away from god and it's again the picture of the result of our sins. The more we, more we sort of sit in our sins, uh, the, the lonelier and, and more desolate and more broken and more abandoned we'll feel. Uh, and that's what's happening in verse 2. But God speaks into that place. And maybe you've been in that place this morning. Maybe you still feel like you're in a place where you are broken and desolate and laying abandoned somewhere, like the woman in verse 2. But notice what happens in verse 4 is that the revelation of God, uh, the word of God is announced into the broken desolation of our sin. And God says this, Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Three times we hear that refrain in this passage this morning. Seek me and live, says God. And that's a, a proactive call. There's a call to do something, seek God. And it's paired in the verses in between with a call to put something away. Seeking God isn't just a, a, an add-on to your life. It often will mean giving something else up. Something has to start, seek God. And something else has to stop, stop doing this. And so verse 4, God says, seek me and live. That's the do something. And then verse 5, he says, do not seek Bethel and do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. That's what you need to stop. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about what those names would mean for the people. Each of those places would have been considered something of a holy 
site where people in Israel's past had met with God. Uh, you can read about those in, in different places in Israel's scriptures. But when the northern kingdom of Israel uh, broke away from the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, the two nations kind of went in different directions. And the northern kingdom, uh, well, often had terrible kings. And one of the things they did was uh, they built sort of new worship sites. They wanted to rival Jerusalem. Jerusalem's down in, in Judah, and Israel wanted its own sort of sites where they could go and do worship. And so they built sort of false houses of worship, and they became places of idolatry. And so really they kind of profaned these sites where God's people had met with him in the past, and uh, they'd become people of idolatry. And so they'd taken sort of this old sacred thing and had accumulated all sorts of idols and false gods to worship. And God, that's why God says, seek me and live. Don't seek those places. Those are places of, of false religious spirituality. Don't go there. And you might think, well, I don't really have a Bethel or a Gilgal. I'm here in Dryden. There's Oxdrift, Minnetaki, Eagle River, Wabagoon. No Gilgal here. No Beersheba here. But I think the point could be similar. The point is we can be tempted to seek something that can sort of, can sort of satisfy kind of a spiritual hunger, and yet it's far from God. And that's what these places would have been. They would have been places where you could have kind of gone through the motions of something religious, uh, but it was all empty. It was all false. You could have felt perhaps some sort of transcendent personal experience, something that made you feel very emotional. And maybe you even felt, I feel very close to God. I feel all sorts of warm fuzzies inside. All sorts of little, woo, something's happening. But those places ultimately were full of death. And just because there's worship happening doesn't mean it's right or holy. And what had happened is worship in those places had been altered, and yet people were still going. And they're going to worship in these places, in this way, with this attitude, had actually become sin. God wasn't in Gilgal or Bethel. And, and you have to think, it would have had all sort of the trappings of looking very religious and very spiritual, uh, but it was actually bankrupt. And worse than that, it wasn't just sort of, you know, empty. It was actually evil. It was actually evil. Like it was actually false worship. It was actually idolatry. It's evil because, friends, any time we attempt to tap into the spiritual world without the Holy Spirit without God, whether that's an attempt in something that looks like worship or it's something outright, whether it's tampering with something occult or Ouija boards or crystals or whatever sort of new age thing at the moment, that sort of seeking to tap into a spiritual realm without the Holy Spirit will be a form of witchcraft. And that's what Israel's dealing with here. The question is, well, what makes the church the church then? And the church is the church because of the presence of the living God. We can come and do the trappings of the thing, um, but if Jesus isn't the center of what we're doing, we've really missed the point. And in fact, if it's all about uh, kind of self-aggrandizement, if it's all about worshiping us or worshiping something else, um, then we're running on spiritual thin ice. And we need to be careful. 
And so God's call here, when he says, seek me and live, do not seek Bethel, what he's saying is he's, he wants to call them back from, from false worship. He wants to call them back from this witchcraft that's been dressed up to look like godliness. He wants to call them out of that, back from, back from sort of, you know, they would have sang songs and, and done their sacrifices and done the stuff. But later on in the passage, we read they hate each other. And so God's calling them out of going on Sunday and making a show of being a Christian and then living like an antichrist for the rest of the week. He says, don't do it. You've missed the point. You show up on Sunday and you do this stuff, but you hate each other through the week. You've missed it. And that's what he says here. Don't do that. He, he calls them out of going to worship but not dealing with their neighbors, right? He calls them out of singing songs but then hating each other. And he calls them back from making idols out of their emotions or out of their experiences, uh, out of anything that doesn't bring glory to God. And he wants to call them back to the truth, call them back to him. And so we don't seek a false god. We don't seek a man-made god when we get together on Sunday. We certainly don't seek a dead god. We seek the living and true creator of heaven and earth the triune and living God. That's why the cross is empty behind me, because he's not dead anymore. What does John 1 say talking about Jesus? It says, in him was life, and that life was the light to all humanity, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Seek me and live, says God. Those other places, those other gods, they're enticing. And they still are in our day. They're still enticing. There's all sorts of things that want your attention and want your time and want your money. All sorts of things that will demand life of you. But we don't give in to that sort of false worship. We don't objectify others uh, for the pleasures they can bring us or a twisted sense of fulfillment. We come to seek the Lord. And that brings us to the second seeking. Look again now at verse 6. It says, seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to, and now you'll have different words probably in your Bible, depending on how that's been translated. Um, in ESV, it's wormwood. Um, depending on, if you have NIV, it's probably something like bitterness. Um, and the idea is you have turned justice into bitterness and you've cast down righteousness. You've turned the sweetness of what justice should be, of caring well for each other and of seeking the good of society, you've turned that into bitterness. And this is now God tying together their false worship with a false sense of living. Uh, what, what your relationship with God vertically will affect how you live horizontally with others. And that's what God highlights here. When they've, they've entered into false worship and things are broken, uh, in the relationship with God, it's going to spill out in all sorts of brokenness and sin and how they deal with each other. And the two primary words that God uses to describe that in Amos are justice and righteousness. God cares about justice and righteousness. He cares about seeking the good of the places where the church has been planted. And he cares about the goodness of, of caring for people. And that's what the passage is where it says, you've neglected the person at the gate or you've neglected the poor, is because the people in Amos' time were doing all sorts of things to sort of push the poor down, 
uh, to ignore the plight of the needy, and they had sort of turned their false worship uh, of idols into a way of sort of justifying uh, their hatred of each other. The danger is, of course, is that you, you, you'll always worship something. We're made for that as humans, but you will become like the thing you worship. And that's what Amos points out to us here. That's what the mirror, holding up the mirror is about. Amos is saying, if, if you worship God, the true God of Israel, his character is righteousness and justice and goodness. And if you worship him, you will become people who seek righteousness and justice and goodness. And you'll want to see that lived out in your relationships with others. But when you worship these false idols, these idols that were all about, like, immoral pleasure or all about, like, weather manipulation or whatever the latest thing would have been, you're seeking something that turns you inward into objectifying others for yourself. And so when you, f when you practice idolatry, it will spill out in a, in a misuse of people for your own ends, just like the gods that, that, you, rep that you are worshiping and what they represent. That a brokenness in a relationship with God will, will, will work itself out in an injustice for the poor or brokenness with others. And I think, well, that's kind of crazy that Amos would do that, that God would do that through Amos. But you know what? It's the same thing Jesus says, right? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, with your whole being. And then what's the second part that's right next to it? And love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus ties together uh, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And that's exactly what Amos is doing here. It's the same, same God, his same heart, for things to be well in relationship with him will mean that we seek to do well towards others. And look at verse 12 as he explains more of their transgressions. He says, I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe. This is some of the injustice that was going on. Turn aside the needy in the gate. The sense of uh, our attitude towards the poor will be a sort of spiritual thermometer. And so at the end, after seek God, seek God and live, seek me and live, put away this, this false worship, put away this false way of living. Look at verses 14 and 15. I love how this wraps up. It says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so that the Lord... The God, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph, meaning Israel, meaning them. It may be if they turn and repent, there'll be forgiveness and grace. Uh, otherwise, there's going to be some destruction that comes, right? Again, sort of that hard message of Amos. It's neat, isn't it? That Amos can say in one place, seek me and live, like verse 5, or seek the Lord and live, like in verse 6. And then right after that, he can say, seek good that you may live. And again, tying together that seeking God, seeking the Lord, seeking the true creator God of Israel, the one who made the Pleiades and made Orion, right? That's verses 8 and 9. The one who's worthy of worship, if you seek him, it will be bound up in also seeking good and seeking to live with generosity and justice and righteousness. And so that mirror is held up for Israel. Here's what you've been doing. 
Turn away from it. Seek the Lord. And in some sense, that mirror is held up for us as well today. We see ourselves in this text. I think we realize as we look at a passage like this, there's, there's nothing that we can bring uh, to sort of win God over. You know what God longs for is simply a willingness to come and to repent and to receive from him. It's not sort of a measure of how good I can be for God to sort of earn his favor. It's really a matter of surrendering, of letting go, and uh, coming, knowing the promise that he loves us and he forgives us, and that he's good and he's gracious. And I love that the call of this passage is seek him. It's just this active, encouraging call. Seek him. Seek him. That means putting away some things, but it also means putting on some things. There's a promise there for us folks that God is always present and always listening and ready to respond to those who are hungry for him. Those that choose to repent and believe and hear and obey. He wants to come and change your life and make you new. For us as Christians, when we hear a passage like Amos 5, we can think back to the cross. And when we look at the cross, we see on Jesus the ugliness of our sins. We see the, the depth and the brokenness and the violence of our sin sort of fully present there on the cross. But you know what else we see on the cross is the mercy of God. So as much as we see the violence and the sin and the injustice and the idolatry and the, the unrighteousness, we also see on the cross the fullness of God's mercy and love as Jesus hangs there and swallows up all of our evil and sin upon himself. That the goodness and the forgiveness and the mercy of God just swallows up the fullness of human violence and evil. And so when we look to the cross, we see both the brokenness, the utterness, the bitterness of sin, but we also see the goodness of God poured out completely for us. And so, friends, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. I've asked the worship team just before I pray uh, to come, and I, I'd like us to close by sort of singing this song together, uh, Give Us Clean Hands. And this is a song that's about casting down idols and seeking God first. And I think it's an appropriate way for us to, to wrap up our service today is to sing this song together. Would you stand with me, and I'll, I'll pray over us, and then let's sing this song, and then following the, that song, I will, uh, I will send us out with the benediction. But let's pray uh, to that end. Lord, today I want to thank you again for your word. I, and I thank you, Jesus, that uh, true life and salvation is found in you alone. And Lord, today we want to seek your face. Lord, we want to seek you and live. And for some of us today, that means putting some things down. And, and Holy Spirit, I just pray that even in this moment, you would be speaking to us, uh, to individuals here, Lord, if there's something in our lives we need to get rid of, if there's something in our hearts we need to repent of today, some sin we've been holding on to, uh, some, some habit maybe that uh, is not glorifying you that we need to put away, Lord, we want to, uh, we just pray that you would expose that in our hearts and convict us, Lord. Uh, we want to lay that down today. Lord, I want to thank you that your mercy and your grace is, is greater uh, than our sin. And, and Lord, sometimes we can feel trapped in, in a sense of, of uh, 
guilt and shame over what we've done in the past. And I just pray that would be broken today in your name, Jesus, that you would uh, shine your light into those places and bring your forgiveness and your healing. Uh, Lord, as we sing this song today, may it be an act of prayer and praise uh, as we give our hearts to you and uh, as a a way of responding to your word this morning. And Lord, I just pray uh, if there's anyone here who has never made a decision to follow you, uh, Lord, that you would work on their hearts today. Uh, Lord, would you expose, as you have for so many of us, the depths of our sin and also reveal to us uh, the fullness and the goodness of your salvation life. Jesus, we love you. Uh, We worship you today. Help us to seek you uh, and to live for you, we ask in your name. Amen.